Okay, who are we? Okay, yeah. Go from the top again. Alright, who are we? Who are we? Who are we? We are Holy Spirit empowered. Servants like, like Jesus. Jesus. We are. We are. We are the hospitable family of Jesus. We are. We are strategic missionaries for Jesus. We are disciples devoted to Jesus. We are helping people find and follow Jesus. We, we are, are. We are City, City Gates. We are City Gates. Oh my God, you like, nailed it! Memory kicked in. <laughs> As some of you uh, might remember, last week when um, Brian preached, he did uh, make reference to us being in the middle of a series. I mean, we've been preaching. Uh, this one series, this whole year, um, and we're taking a bit of a break in the summer, but we had some mix-ups, uh, you know, people got sick and couldn't preach, and so we moved some things around, and so the idea was I was going to preach Jeremiah today, so just kind of quickly jump back into the series, the, the week that we missed, and then carry on with sort of these once-off sermons, of which many of them will be guest speakers, so, you know, prioritize those Sundays when we have guest speakers coming through, but... Um, Remember, uh, one of the reasons why uh, we pushed it out was uh, Ryan got sick, and Isaiah is a massive book to preach, 66 chapters intense. I just want to let you know that Jeremiah is even worse, okay? <laughs> Jeremiah has 50-something chapters, 53, but actually technically had has way more, many more words, okay? So it's actually a way bigger book, and I realized sort of, you know, towards the end of this week, I, I just thought, I just cannot do Jeremiah justice, you know? And so I, I pulled out... Uh, of that commitment, and I will preach Jeremiah when we jump back into the one series just before the fall again, okay? So it's going to be unbelievable because I would have had weeks and weeks to marinate in Jeremiah. I trust it will be the case. But um, yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know if it's made it any worse, but I had to obviously prepare a brand new sermon from scratch, someone that I felt confidence to preach. And actually, it, it is on the fear of the Lord. And it is, it is out of Jeremiah, so I am dipping my toes into Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32, we'll read that in a moment, where it talks about the fear of the Lord and the new covenant. Because remember, all these Old Testament books that we're preaching through is showing us, it's pointing to Christ and to the new covenant. And so there's mention of that in Jeremiah. Um, and we learned in Proverbs a couple of weeks earlier when we preached through that book that you know, there is a wise way to live. It's wisdom literature. And, and one way to live wisely, or at least the beginning of wisdom, it, it suggests, is that the fear of the Lord is where wisdom starts. So we learned about that. And in Jeremiah, we'll read that together now. Let's read uh, chapter 32, uh, verses 38 to 40. Um, this is a, a new covenant promise coming our way. And it says, And they shall be my people. This is God speaking through him. And I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever. Listen to that. That they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. Okay, so... So, so Proverbs tells us, Jeremiah tells us, even when it was prophesied about the Messiah in Isaiah, it says that he would delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay, so, so some of you, I mean, maybe you're a guest, maybe you're not a Christ follower, this church thing, Jesus thing, it's not your thing, and you're thinking, this is, this is not a great way to start a sermon. He's talking about being afraid of God. And, and that's perhaps right, but there's, 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 there's some other encouragements in the New Testament as well. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 tells us, 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Okay, fear the Lord, don't fear. What's going on here? Uh, Zechariah, that's John the baptizer's father. Um, you know, he was even saying the time was coming. Um, he was prophesying where God's people will serve him without fear. And actually, surprisingly, one of the most uh, common commands in the scripture you would find is this term, fear not, do not fear. So you should be asking me, well, which one is it? Like, fear the Lord, do not fear. Which one is it? And I trust that we'll be able to discover that today. I mean, let's just think about fear as a subject in our culture, in our context these days. I think we are living in a society that's perhaps safer than, than it's ever been, you know, if we glance over the ages. Um, but at the same time, I think we live in a society that is more anxious and more fearful than it has perhaps ever been. And uh, I think one of the reasons is that society has rejected God. Actually, what we're going to discover perhaps is that a rejection of the fear of the Lord, of God uh, in His proper, proper place in humanity, has resulted that we actually find ourselves being more fearful. <laughs> the Enlightenment and atheism um, has taught us that actually with more knowledge, we just need to know more, it would result in less fear or less superstitious fear, you know, fear of a deity. And uh, actually, as we look at today and we look at the stats, I think it doesn't work that way. I think we can all say that actually with the onset of more knowledge, more anxiety and fear has come our way. Just think of how you access the media, how much news comes your way, your social media feeds. Actually, these things have strung us out even more than we've ever been before. I've experienced this little wave in my own life, all right? Beginning of the year, went on sabbatical, shut the tap of social media, email, news. I mean, I'm still finding out things that's happened in the world today because of what I've lost out over those three months earlier this year. But as I've been, you know, back in the swing of things, I must be, must be honest with you, I can, I can feel the walls closing in. I can feel like there's a, an unhealthy anxiety, sort of ambient anxiety that's creeping into my life again as I, ha you know, as I have to cross paths with some of these mediums, some of the information that comes at us. I mean, even the fact that we talked about, you know, latest pictures, first time I heard of it, shows you I'm not that connected yet, you know, I'd love to see these new pictures, but look, I know some old pictures of the universe has been taken a while ago as well, and I know they retired the, the telescope, the, the Hubble, but um, as we discovered just how massive the universe actually is, you know, you take God out of the equation and you just realize how insignificant and pathetic you really are, and then all of a sudden you're like, what's the point, who am I, what's the point of, you know what I'm saying, you take God out of the equation, and actually you know all the stuff now, you, you find yourself more terrified and petrified and fearful. Is that not true? And actually, the scripture tells us a healthy fear of the Lord. And maybe that's what these New Testament verses of there's no fear in love, like understanding that there actually there's an appropriate fear of the Lord, actually keeps all of our other fears at bay. Because without a providential father, what security do we have in an ever-changing society? You know, as we discover all of these things, without knowing that there's a good father behind the universe, what hope do you have? And so society has turned to medicating our fear. That's, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's how we deal with it, you know? We, we medicate the problem. And actually, the Bible tells us that's not the ultimate solution. I'm not saying that there are some, some real genuine anxieties that can be treated wisely in such a way. 
But the Bible actually tells us, and in the words of Jesus in Matthew 8, verse 26, when the disciples were fearful in the storm, what did he say to them? Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? That actually unbelief, actually, in this, this problem in society, society of wanting a kingdom, but we don't want a king, that's actually the reason. That's actually, underneath it all, if you peel the onion, you get through underneath all of the layers, it's unbelief that actually is resulting in fear. So the question is, what is a healthy and holy fear of the Lord then? Because there can be a wrong and a sinful fear, perhaps. Maybe that's why people have run away from the idea of God, because they've understood it incorrectly. And we've just talked a little bit about how that isn't actually the answer to the problem. Running from God. Running from His sovereignty. So, let me pray, and then we'll jump into hopefully answering, answering that question. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the invitation tonight to fear you appropriately, that actually there's freedom in an appropriate fear of the Lord. And I pray that tonight we would experience that freedom. If there is fear present in, 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 in people's lives tonight, fear that is keeping us from you, fear that is keeping us from, uh, from having faith, would you, would you fix that tonight by your Spirit? And would you use me in Jesus' name? Amen. Uh, I can just do it myself. I read a book while I was on sabbatical uh, called Rejoice and Tremble by Michael Reeves. Uh, it was one of my retreats. I went to a Jesuit retreat center and you know, started the book and ended the book uh, at this retreat center as well. Um, and so much of what I'm going to say today is actually from what I've learned as I've read that book. Um, but, you know, he argues that to be overwhelmed by all that God is, uh, the faithful as a result trembles. If we see God clearly, it causes our hearts to quake. You know, and you think about when you're afraid. Like there's something that happens in your body, right? Like the, with the adrenaline jump, sometimes your ears start ringing. Have you ever had that? Someone gives you a fright and all of a sudden, you know, you just want to pick up cars in the parking lot like, and your ears ring. It's like there's a physiological response. And he's saying that when we see God clearly, actually something starts to happen. Our heart starts to quake. And actually the more that we fear the Lord appropriately, the more we actually love the Lord. That this is, the, this is this dichotomy, this paradox that the scriptures teach, that actually when we see God clearly in his majesty and, and all the other things that we'll discover hopefully together today, or some of them, that actually you find yourself loving him. Not running from him, but actually running to him. That's, that's the case that he's making. And so he talks about the word fear in the original scriptures. Toby referenced it as well. We read an ancient text here, you know, thousands of years old, Greek and Hebrew. They say it's both the word is used positively, and it's used negatively as well. Well, there's a great example in Exodus chapter 20. We're not going to turn there, but verses 18 to 20. It's actually God giving a command to Moses, and he tells them to not fear so that they may fear him and not sin. It's like, there's this, you know, it's like don't, don't fear it's just so that you would fear me and not sin. So there's this, the words used in a negative sense, don't do it, but so that you should do it. So, you know, he goes into some of those details. I, I'm not as clever as he is by the book if you want to uh, figure it out. Um, he's saying it's translated into various English words for us to help make sense of this complicated word in the scriptures. So we sometimes read awe, respect, reverence, you know, just 
in our modern times, you know, to sort of, I guess, take the sharp edges off the word fear. You know, when we talk to people about fearing the Lord, it sounds a bit nicer when you say, oh, respect Him, be in awe of Him. But, you know, He's saying, although these are, are correct, they're not perfect synonyms for it either. And then um, just saying also that these root words, and I've alluded to that a moment ago, they're not only about a feeling, but there's this physical aspect to these words as well. And that's why sometimes in the scripture we see, we read of shaking and trembling and quaking in the presence of God. And so that's, that's why sometimes it's often coupled with you know, rejoicing and trembling. You can do that at the same time. We know what, what excessive joy does to us. You know, we start to jump up and down. We make woo, funny noises. It kind of makes its way into our physical uh, outward stuff. And it's the same with actually an appropriate fear of the Lord. It's overwhelming in that sense. But I want to return to the basic premise that I opened up with what he said, and that's about seeing God. That when we see God clearly, you know, our hearts start to quake. And it actually reminded me of one of the Lent devotions that we did uh, leading up to, to, to Easter. I think it was last year when we did it online. We gathered, you know, around our YouTube channel, you know, early in the mornings, and some of us led a few of us in, in devotions leading up to Easter. And uh, one of them was about the fear of the Lord. And I remember, you know, just as I was reading and preparing for that, you know, see, make, seeing the connection, actually, fear in the Scriptures, fear in the Bible, is often connected to revelation. Like, re, you know, God revealing Himself. You think about the epiphanies that takes place, you know. What's some of the first things often says when an angel of the Lord or the Lord appears in some way? What's the first thing that comes out of their mouths? Fear not. You know, it's like there's this incredible revelation. Like, you know, heaven breaks in. And it's like, just before I tell you what I need to tell you, you need to calm down. Like, fear not, okay? So, so there's this, uh, uh, this revelation that, that is connected often to fear in the Scriptures. And so in the simplest form, I think a healthy fear of the Lord is a clarity of vision, is being able to see the Lord uh, in, in His fullness, to, to, to rightly discern the Lord's character and nature, and by extension, to see ourselves, therefore, correctly in the light of that truth. That's why there's the quaking. That's why there's the trembling. You know? That's why there's the oh, falling on my face. That's why there's, you know, we prostrate before his, Him. He's holy, I am not. He's king, I am, I am servant. You know? Like all of a sudden, everything, everything falls into place. Like you know where you belong when you are seeing the Lord and His character and His nature in a, in a clearer way. So you know, if we ask the question, tonight, do you fear the Lord? I think we can ask it in a different way. We can say, is your understanding of God shaped and informed, not just by revelation, but by His self-revelation, by what God has revealed about Himself to you? I think you could, you know, that's almost the same. It's like, it's like the tweet version of that is, do you fear the Lord? The Facebook post is, do you, um, do you understand... Um, or, or do you understand, or is your understanding of God shaped and informed by his own self-revelation? And, and I want to, you know, put emphasis on his revelation, his self-revelation. It's a big deal. It's not how you like to see him, because that's actually, that's, that's every, every religious conversation I have with someone, that's kind of how it begins. Well, I think God's like this, you know? I, I think, you know, if I was God, I would, I would do it this way. You know, that's, that's not... His own self-revelation. That's your version of him or how you would like the Lord to be. I remember once, um, uh, in, I, was, uh, uh, I heard a story. Actually, a friend of mine is a songwriter. 
and he was asked to lead that song in a church context, and different musicians uh, uh, came together, and he was helping them arrange the song. And the drummer kept on saying to the person, no, it, it's like this, you know? And he's like, no, well, actually, it's like this. And the drummer kept pushing back, no, 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 it, it's like this. Eventually, and everybody else was kind of a little bit embarrassed because they all knew, eventually he had to say, listen, I wrote the song. Like, it goes like this, you know? And obviously, it settled the matter. The drummer was like, yeah, sure, whatever you want, you know? <laughs> so there was a sense that he had played the song before, but, you know, they made their own rendition of it. And then when he was confronted with the author, he was like, no, this is what I designed the song for. This is how I want it to sound. Like, it settled the matter. And so this is why it's important that there is, that we base, you know, what we know in our response to, to the Lord on what He has revealed and showed to us. I love Psalm 22, verse 25. The psalmist there says, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. There's a sense that he's like, yeah, like you, you, who you are, what you have done. Like that, that is the source of my praise when I come together. It's like um, electricity. Um, I was told as I grew up, my dad was an assistant engineer for in South Africa, what is, you know, similar to your hydro supply here. What's it called now? Viridian. I don't remember. And so he, I was always around electricity. My dad was always, you know, because he's working on stuff. I sometimes would travel with him to power stations. Anyway, I knew electricity can be dangerous until the day I experienced it. And I don't know. I, you know, I, I was working on an extension cord, and I, I mean, I know what's, what to do, but it was still plugged into the wall. It was stupid. Okay, so I was opening up the other side of this extension cord, and the screwdriver wasn't insulated, and just for a brief moment, and in South Africa, it's 220 volts, by the way, not 120. 220 volts just went through me. I could hear it. It was phenomenal. Like, and I, and I, sh I definitely quaked, all right? And from then on, like, I, I was convinced. I, it was firsthand. It wasn't like my dad telling me, trust me. Now it's like, Dad, I know. I know. And so every revelation from God, okay, is an invitation. I mean, that revelation was an invitation to stay alive, to stay safe, you know, stay away from it. But actually, every revelation of God to us is an invitation to come closer to Him. And so, yes, He is majestic. He is over all, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But when He reveals Himself, it's not so that you would run away, it's that you would run to Him. It's an invitation. And yes, my appropriate fear of electricity, because I got shocked proper, does not mean that from henceforth I now make fires and, you know, and, I, and I don't ever use electricity. No, no, no. I, just, I, I actually realize how powerful and resourceful it is, and I still use electricity. And it's the same way. When we understand His majesty, His holiness, it's, not, it, it's like we just know our place in it. I hope I'm making sense. And so I think one of the ways, okay, so we're just going to talk two big ways with how the Lord has revealed Himself. Well, the first one is obviously as Creator. He's revealed Himself to us as a Creator. And this is a reality that actually all humans, regardless of whether you're a Christ follower or not, agnostic, believer, atheist, I think... Well, not atheists. Okay, let's, let's crap that, obviously. Um, but Christ, Christians or not, we can participate in this particular knowledge of God as creator. Um, John Bunyan you know, said a funny, funny thing. He kind of agrees with the psalmist, Psalm 14 with 1. It says, you know, the fool says in his heart there is no God. John Bunyan said, people who don't fear God as creator are actually more foolish than 
animals <laughs> who actually do fear humans, kind of know their place, place in the you know, pecking order. But, but all for the Creator, like understanding that, that He has created all things, is often just the first domino that must fall in our you know, pursuit of God, knowing Him more intimately, knowing Him more adequately or accurately, if we can put it that way. On its own, actually just knowing that God is the Creator does not produce in us the kind of fear that the Scripture encourages, the, the positive one, the good fear. Just, just saying, oh, He's the Creator, actually doesn't, will not result in an appropriate fear. Uh, William Blake, anybody know uh, the po poet William Blake? I think, I mean, he's, he's been dead for a while now. But I remember when I was like in my teen years, I don't know, I tried to be like, oh, like artsy, and like I, I had a couple of, couple of William Blake poems that I'd written in some journal somewhere to impress some girls. But uh, I think that was the last time I genuinely read William Blake. But, but he has this poem called Tiger. And, and I read the poem recently, but it's not like I have it on my bookshelf. And this, this poem talks about how terrible a tiger is, and I would agree with him. But then he comes to the conclusion that how terrible thus must the tiger's maker be. If the tiger is so terrible and so scary, oh my goodness, how scary must be the, the one be? How scary must the one be who made the tiger? And so this is a little example of actually, yes, you can acknowledge God as creator, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you end up at the appropriate fear. You might still run from him as opposed to running to him. There's truth in that. It can lead to humility. He's great. And, and humility is a great forerunner for grace. The scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it's a great place to start. Wow, he made everything, and, uh, and, I, and I obviously didn't. You know, he's designed it, and he knows, and I don't. And so it's a great place to start. 2018, the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology released some reported studies on people experiencing awe and the results of that. It's fascinating. If people who experience some kind of awe actually it promoted greater humility in their lives. It resulted in them having a more balanced view of their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, it, it helped them acknowledge uh, that they are outside contributors to their success. Instead of saying, oh, I'm a self-made man. Actually, when they experienced awe, they were quite comfortable saying, yeah, you know, I mean, I got lucky, you know, or, or actually, you know, the powers that be really uh, intervened. You know, it's not all me. And uh, there's actually a couple of health benefits as well. So I'm just saying that, that it's a good place to start, but certainly where you, where you, it's not where you should end in terms of an appropriate fear of the Lord, by just ending at, oh yeah, He's the Creator. Our enjoyment of and our wonder of the, great, the Creator God only increases when we know God as Father, as Redeemer, as Savior, when we, when we move from Creator to other aspects that He has revealed to us. There's God's personhood, not just His power that actually will help us fear Him appropriately. It's understanding that He's not only the King of the universe, but actually His rule is characterized by Himself, His character. It's not just about Him being King, but how He rules, His character comes through. It's, it's moving from Creator to more of what He has shown and revealed of Himself. Spurgeon spoke of this. You know, he talked about being like a child, admiring the Father's wisdom, admiring the Father's wealth, admiring the Father's power. And he's saying, you're happy, you're at home, but you still feel so little. You know, like you know your place. But, but actually, you're in the presence of a father, a dad. Spurgeon, like many of us here tonight, we've, he's, he came to know the father's favor and the father's grace and the father's heart 
through the work of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus. And so maybe the second, I'm just really looking at creation, and I'm looking at Father, but Father really is a blanket statement for Savior, Redeemer, and all the benefits that come from the Father's heart as a result. So here's a question for you. What was God like in the privacy of eternity before He created anything? That's a question that, by the way, they've asked over the ages. Great debates. It's actually wonderful. Because if God is simply a creator, then here's the reality. Then He needed creation to rule in order to be who He is. If that's where you want to end, well then, pre-creation... God was kind of dependent on something. He was dependent on creation to be something. And actually, we know that before creation, God existed. Even as we were reading uh, from John chapter 1, in the beginning, God. And it assumes that God was there before the beginning. In terms of how time works, you know, linear, just in case you want to figure that one out. God existed self-sufficiently, depending on nothing to be who he is. And yet we cannot come to a true knowledge of God by only looking him at him as creator. And we here at City Gates, you know, evangelical Christianity, we preach that God has revealed himself to us in his son. And, and of course, through the scriptures, but the, the Bible says that Jesus is the word that, that became flesh. I mean, we're doing this journey through the Old Testament, where you're saying it's actually ultimately about one story, a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so you begin with Jesus, you begin with the Word, whichever way, but the message is that God has revealed Himself through His Son. And so if we start there, the first thing, it's not the only thing, but certainly the first thing that we can say about God, is that God is a father. God's a dad. And only in Christ, the Son, are we reconciled to the Father. And you think about the job of the Holy Spirit is to have the love of the Father poured into our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts, to enable us, you and me, to cry, Abba, Father. And Jesus said you know, to his disciples, they said, oh, show us the Father, it'll be enough. Jesus is like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, you know, we know what the Father is like because of him sending his Son to settle it, to settle the confusion. And without this revelation, we might get stuck on God as judge. Remember a few Sundays ago when we were worshiping, God was leading us so beautifully, all the contributions that came, particularly Ryan's contribution about, about getting stuck on God as judge. But the Holy Spirit wanted to remind us that actually He is the Father, he, he, the Father's face, not the judge's hammer, is what was being highlighted. And, and we know that the judge's hammer came down on Jesus, so it doesn't have to come down on us. He took care of it. Our sin that demands to be dealt with justly was dealt with on Jesus. So Jesus opened the way for us to the Father. And this shows us that our problem is not just uh, external disobedience. This is the problem with humanity. God says, don't touch. We touch. Come on. You know, I told you not to go there, and you did. Don't cross the street. We cross the street. That's not actually the biggest problem with humanity. Actually, it's a relational matter. A relational matter of our hearts having gone astray. And the Father sent His Son to bring us back into His family. That, that's the problem. Is Our hearts are hard. We're running from a good God. We don't see Him appropriately. Our appropriate fear of the Father rests solely 
on Christ's accomplishments as well. Uh, if we, there's, a fear, there's not a fear that we would lose our salvation because we know the payment that Jesus made is in full. It's not a fear of punishment because we knew Jesus was punished for us on the cross. Actually, there's this thing that happens when we see God and His, His holiness in an appropriate way. Uh, um, Spurgeon also said, Our holy fear leads us to dread anything which might cause our Father's displeasure. In Christ, we have come to treasure the Father, to treasure God. And so we loathe, in many ways, there's a fear of, of sin, not, not so much of the Lord. I, I don't know if that is coming through clear, but anyway, Calvin even said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, that even if there were no hell, actually, if we love and fear the Lord, we'd still shudder at offending Him, even if there wasn't a place of consequence. This is the depth of relationship that the Father wants us to come into, that actually we live like that, and that's what Jesus opened for us, God who sent His Son. So how do we grow in this, in this healthy fear? You know, seeing God more clearly. Well, we, I just alluded to that. We need a new heart, because this is not just about doing and behaving the right way. It's about the motives, wanting to. New hearts results in new desires. That's the key, and that is the promise of the gospel. The gospel promises that actually the very thing that causes you to do that, God can do heart surgery. He can take that stony heart out and put a soft heart in. Because if you can convince someone that God exists, that's not going to mean, okay, now they're going to love and serve them. I was listening to a, a podcast this week about uh, an apologist who talked about, you know, not arguing, but helping people discover the reality that God is real and ultimately that he revealed himself and his son. And he was just saying, yeah, sometimes people are more angry when, you've, when they've settled the fact, okay, I'm no longer an atheist, there is a God, but now they're upset because they don't want a God to tell them how to live and what to do and who to be. So it's like, you know, they believe in God, doesn't mean they love Him. They hate Him, in fact, even more, because He was imaginary, you know, at one moment ago, and now you've busted that myth, and now it's like, oh, now I've got to deal with the reality of God. Angry. How, how dare He tell me how to live? How dare he, he, he claims to be a just judge? So it starts with a desire. Desire. And the Lord helps us in that way. That's the gospel. And if you fear the Lord, and it's more like the fear of a servant, you know, behaving properly instead of that of a son or a daughter, then the irony is that the only time the fear of the Lord kicks in is actually when you feel like you've overstepped the mark. That's the only time when you kind of become mindful of God. It's when you're like, ooh, should I have done that? Should I have said that? But every other time you're just going about. That's not, that's not the kind of relationship the Father wants to bring you into. That sometimes you're like mindful of Him. That sometimes you, you're like, oh, I'm, you know, he's my dad, I better, better behave. That, that's, not, that's not a healthy fear. If you're a son and a daughter, actually, there's a love for your father. A healthy biblical fear of the Lord is an ever-present aspect. So in other words, you don't live your life just momentarily thinking, should I avoid this? Should I not do that? Should I behave like this? But actually, it's, it's actually, how do I please my father? You see, every moment now becomes an opportunity to love and serve the Lord when there's an appropriate fear. If it's an inappropriate fear, fear, it's only the moments where you feel you might have overstepped the mark, where you kind of bring God into that moment, where you consider Him. Can you see that you need a heart change? A heart change would result in all of life being lived, lived like this. Not just when you're tempted to sin, but you live your life in, in a way that you're prompted to do good, love, and serve others because you want to please your heavenly Father. And we get it from the gospel, friends. The gospel is the thing that helps us 
fear the Lord appropriately. Because the gospel is, a, is, the, is the account of the Father sending His only Son, His only Son for you and me, to die in my place, to take the punishment, to be under the judge's hammer, forgiving me because of the giving of Himself. It's not cheap grace. It cost Him His life. That moves us. Every, when, when someone does something radical for you, that moves you, does it not? It creates that like shaking, trembling, quaking. Something happens. And when we see and hear the gospel and believe the gospel, that, that appropriate quaking and trembling and rejoicing at the same time. Because again, you see the gospel, you see there's Jesus, sinless Jesus, dying on a cross, a gruesome, brutal death. And you go, sin is not Mickey Mouse. My sin is not trivial. It required God on a cross to deal with it. So there is this appropriate, like, sin is not helpful. But at the same time, He loves me so much that He would get on that cross and die in my place so that I could be forgiven, so I don't have to pay a price. He paid it for me. Can you see that you can have that appropriate tension? You know, fear the Lord. Don't fear the Lord, but fear the Lord. So you may not sin. It's like it comes into focus and comes into play in the gospel. And we can hear Jesus' words when he told that parable in Luke chapter 7. He said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. When you understand the gospel, understand the holiness of God and, and the means by which he dealt with my unholiness, I realize how much I've been forgiven. What is the result? Oh, God, God judges. Look what he did to Jesus. Oh, No, it's like, I love him. I thank him. I serve him. It's love. He who has been forgiven much, Someone who understands the gospel is the one who loves much. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says this, and I think it will be up on the screen. For God said, or for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's maybe the beginning. You know, I said God has revealed himself in creation. Let that not be a full stop. It starts with creation and then it moves on. Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts. Right? This is, this is, he's shone into our hearts. He's taken this heart of stone and made it alive, a heart of flesh. What has he shown? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the holy God. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the breadcrumb trail. If you want to start with creation, just keep nibbling. I'm telling you, you'll, you'll get to Jesus. And when you get to Jesus, Jesus will get you to the Father. Isn't it amazing? And I love that in the face of Jesus Christ because faces is how we recognize people, mostly. Okay? Some people have unique voice. Some people have unique wobbles. You know, we can, we can, we can see them in the dark. You know, we're like, I think it's that person. But generally speaking, it's the face. It's like, ah, you know, COVID taught us that, right? It's people we've known for years walk into an office with a mask on. We're like, hey, what's your name? Why are you here? They're like, hi, I'm your mother. You know, I don't know, whatever it is. <laughs> we've all... We've all we all know faces are rather very, very important in terms of recognizing others. Hey? And here it says that the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. You want to recognize who God is. It's in the face of Jesus. You want to know who Jesus is. He's given us the scriptures, the word. We know. We know what God is like. We know what the Father is like when we look at Jesus. And that light, just like in the creation, when he made everything and set you up so you could find him. He has shone 
his light into our hearts, given us new hearts. And I love that because, you know, if you read the Old Testament, seeing God's face and making it out alive was not always the norm, all right? But in the gospel, it is. He's taken care of that problem of our unholiness standing in the way of meeting a holy God. And so, yes, first revelation is like creation. You know, it starts there. It's the, um, it's the 16-bit image or maybe less. It's the PS1. <laughs> and then Jesus is the 4K. Is there better than 4K, Toby? Yes, there is, I'm sure. But he's the high definition, you know. Don't settle for the pixelated animated GIF, okay? Jesus is HD. Follow the grace of God. And I know it will lead to wonder. It will lead to awe. In the gospel, the gospel account, the story of God's rescue of us, you, you will be, your breath will be taken. It's like jumping into a cold pool. <gasps> That's the first thing you do. Your body, something will happen when you see the Father through what Christ has done for you in the gospel. And that will re result in reverence and fear. Let me pray for you. While we're closing our eyes and bowing our heads, you know, getting ready to pray. Just quickly, if anybody's here tonight and you can't with confidence say that you know God as Father, you, 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 you know that actually some of what I have shared here, like you've, you've missed in a sense. You've, you know, you believe in God, but the, 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 the terms that I've defined a relationship or the way that I've defined that, you, you feel like that's lacking, that's missing in your life. You've tried really hard, but that's doesn't, that has not worked. You just feel there's a void, there's an emptiness, just not gotten to God. And I want to say to you is because you need to lean fully, completely upon what Christ has done for you. The only way in to the, to the Father is through Jesus. And, and to accept Jesus is to admit that there is nothing you could do to get to God. Jesus had to do it all for you. Without Christ, you are hopeless. He's so good to you that through creation and maybe other means, you are aware of God, but He is tonight inviting you into a relationship. He wants to bring you back into His family where you can feel like a son and a daughter. Not wonder if you're doing this Christianity thing right, but know I am saved. I am a son and a daughter in the family of God because Jesus brought me in. He did everything that I could not do. If that's you, I'd love to just quickly pray for you before I pray for everyone else. You just need to let me know by quickly putting your hand up just so I know someone like that's here. Anyone like that? Okay, and I mean, if you're watching online and this is something that resonates with you, I'll just pray in case that's the, 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 the reality right now as well. Lord, thank you for the invitation. Uh, if there's someone online that's listening now, saying yes, I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want to call God my father, Jesus my big brother, my savior. Right now, by your spirit, would you renew them, cause them to be born again. As they say, my sin got in the way of a relationship with the holy God. But Jesus took my sin upon himself. He died my death so that I don't have to die, paid the price in full. And when he was resurrected on the third day, it was the ultimate proof 
that the payment was enough and sufficient. And as they put their faith in Jesus now, they just say, yes, Lord, I believe you, Jesus. I receive from you forgiveness, Jesus. That's miracle takes place for they are new creation. Son and a daughter in your kingdom, calling God your father. And knowing this because you've just put your spirit in them. The Holy Spirit, you filled them with your spirit. And by that spirit, the love of the father is in their hearts and they cry out, dad, father, forever. In Jesus' name. And the rest of us, Lord, here tonight, may we see you with greater clarity so that we may live in an appropriate fear of the Lord. The fear that is accompanied by rejoicing, the trembling, the quaking that also has joy accompanying it. I ask that you would reveal yourself to us in particular as Father. In a society where fathers have a bad rep, would you, Lord, would you make yourself known would you undo anything that, pe- that people might, any, any ideas they might have that maybe has come through the brokenness that we see in, in fathers around us? Myself, I'm not a perfect father, but may that not be a hindrance to my children and to anyone else to know you, our heavenly father. We thank you for speaking to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless. Good night. Thank you.